started last time on chapter 19. Uh, the, ni uh, the events in chapter 19 are uh, Jesus' arrest and his uh, trials and uh, then the, uh, oh no, that's uh, the trials were in 18. Uh, uh, the, the crucifixion and the burial are in chapter 19. Uh, and the themes are uh, that Jesus, uh, the Logos, came to fulfill the Passover and the um, uh, uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. So, uh, I'm just going to pick up here uh, um, and kind of give you, a, give you kind of a little overview uh, of uh, some of the events here. And the thing that comes out in this is how much the, the focus has turned to Gentiles. Uh, and here are at least some of the ways. Um, the, uh, it opens up with the Gentiles testifying to his kingdom. And that is, oh, and I, I should say too, I've, I've mentioned a couple of these last week. So if it sounds like I'm repeating myself, that's because I am. <laughs> So, uh, but they were from chapter 19, and they really belong in this discussion about the Gentiles. So, so I'll be repeating a couple of things. The first one, though, is the Gentiles testify to his kingdom, uh, and this is in verse three. Then they said they they were torturing Jesus with the crown and everything, and then they said, "Hail, King of the Jews!" And they struck him with their hands. Uh, so they are unknowingly, like Caiaphas's prophecy, they are unknowingly declaring his kingship. Um, then we also have in uh, uh, verse 15, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So this is even the top guy there uh, acknowledging his, his kingship. Uh, they acknowledge uh, the second Adam. Uh, this is in verse 5. Uh, then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Now this is, the Latin phrase is eche omo, which you will see on a lot of classic, uh, classic uh, paintings and artwork. Uh, if... Pilate was speaking uh, Jew, uh, Hebrew, he would have said, Hede Adam, behold Adam. So they are uh, declaring uh, Christ as the second Adam. And it is on Friday, the sixth day of creation, the day Adam was created. So this is not a mistake. <laughs> this was all planned. So he reinstates uh, Jesus' sovereignty as the first Adam. Uh, the, the sovereignty of Adam is reinstituted with the second Adam. The, the sovereignty that Adam lost first by abdicating to his wife and then to ab abdicating to Lucifer. 
he, he loses his sovereignty and Lucifer becomes the prince of the world. All right, another thing. Uh, Gentiles receive testimony from the Jews that Jesus is son of God. In verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law. According to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. So again, they don't know what they're saying, but they are testifying to the Gentiles uh, of this idea of Jesus as the son of God. Uh, now, in uh, this comes up again in Matthew 2, 19. Uh, that's wrong. That's the wrong chapter. Uh, but uh, anyway, in Matthew, besides, while Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. So his wife uh, testifies to Pilate that he is a righteous man. Uh, what we see here is Gentiles receiving dreams. Uh, now this isn't uh, unique. Uh, there are other Gentiles in Scripture who receive dreams. You can probably think of at least one. Uh, well, I wasn't even thinking about Cornelius. That, that comes up later, but it, in, in history, so there's at least three. Pharaoh received dreams, uh, and this, this was a turning point in Israel's history uh, that Joseph was drawn out of prison and elevated after being able to, to uh, uh, interpret uh, Pharaoh's dreams. And then Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and Daniel was able not only to interpret it, but to tell him what it was. I don't know if that was a test or Nebuchadnezzar actually forgot what the dream was. That happens to me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, and this is another turning point. This is the beginning of the times of the Gentiles. <clears throat> and again, God goes to the top guy. Uh, so here he is. Uh, 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 communicating with the top regional guy among the Gentiles about Jesus, you know, son of God, the righteous man. Um, this was Pilate's wife. Uh, so, and this may have been one of the reasons why Pilate wanted to let him go. He, he may have been abdicating his sovereignty <laughs> to his wife, but, I mean, that's not the way it was supposed to work out. Uh, but... Uh, We've already seen uh, that uh, Jesus told Pilate that he has, he has power against him, but not for him. So Pilate, there is no way Pilate is letting him go, because that's not the program. That's not what was set, uh, set in place before the foundation of the world. Uh, and so then we, we see also in Mark 15:39. Uh, and when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. And then, now that's the King James Version. Uh, I don't think there's any other translation that, that puts it that way. But I'm going to use it because uh, this is another Gentile uh, declaring that Jesus is the Son of God. <laughs> yeah. Some of the worst casting ever. Uh, that was, uh, I think that was the greatest story ever told. I've never noticed that before, that in all of those cases, the dream goes to the, uh, 
person in power. Yeah. Ahead. I mean, there's another example with us in Advent, and that's that's Joseph. Yeah. You know, before before yeah. Joseph betrothed himself to Mary, Gabriel talked to Mary directly. Yeah. After the betrothal, it's always Joseph. Yeah. That is that um, is so true. There's consistently, I, I've never noticed that before in scripture. Oh. There's consistently, it's the head of the body that gets the dream. Yeah. Not not yeah. the other way around. God goes yeah. to the authority. Okay, another way is that Jesus uh, includes Gentiles in the guilt for his death. This is in verse 11. Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. So if there's a greater sin, then there's a lesser sin. He's not exonerating Pilate here. Uh, he's, He's, you know, by applying to him, a lesser sin, he's applying sin to him. So that you know, Gentiles, Jews may have had the greater guilt, but Gentiles are also guilty of his of his uh, death. Another way, he establishes his kingdom by the word of Pilate. Um, um, verse fourteen says, "Now it was the preparation day of the Sabbath, and about the sixth hour." And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. Again, it's this, uh, this declaration of his kingship. Um, Gentiles lift him up. This is in verse 18. Uh, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. So uh, this is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53.12. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, wrong one. Um, uh, no, this is the fulfillment of, of 12.32. Got ahead of myself. 12.32, in which Jesus says, if, and if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. So uh, it is the Gentiles. Uh, crucifixion was a purely Roman uh, uh way of execution so um, they are the ones who lift him up uh, in a very physical sense Uh, they make prophecy happen Uh, in verse 18 that's what I just read Um, uh, but again um, a different point this time where they had crucified him and two others with him one on either side and Jesus in the center okay now Isaiah fifty three twelve. therefore I will divide him a portion with uh, the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors uh, so he is. Uh, there was nothing that compelled the Romans to crucify these these two thieves, the two transgressors, with Jesus. They just did, and therefore fulfilled the uh, prophecy of Isaiah. Uh, it is fifty three twelve. It as long if if I typed it in right. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not that confident myself. Um, 
the uh, Gentiles inflict the church slash bride's wound in Christ. Uh, Verse 34. uh, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. So that is the side in the wound as the second Adam, his bride is created through this uh, wound in his side. Uh, and it brings about the church uh, with both Jew and Gentile. So, so you know, as we know, both Jew and Gentile are implicit in the crucifixion, and both Jew and Gentile are saved because of it. And the last one on my list is uh, the Gentiles kill him in spite of his innocence. Verse 12, uh, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. So, in spite of uh, uh, knowing that he was not guilty of anything, uh, Pilate kills him. As if the Jews were Caesar's friend. Yeah, really. (laughs) Uh, a A lot of politics going on. So, that's a pretty long list. But it it just shows how uh, John is drawing in the guilt of the Gentiles here, just as he drew in the guilt of Jews in verse 18, or in chapter 18. Uh, So, are there any thoughts uh, about any of those things, or anything to add, take away? The definition of Jew and Gentile kind of needs an expansion when you think about it, because that was a problem of the uh, Jews of that time. I mean, he was even brought forth like, says, what does it matter if you're sons of Abraham? I can make sons of Abraham out of the, this, these rocks here. And even Jesus said, uh, who, is my, who is my mother and brother and sister? Those who do my will. So I think that was a big uh, moral fallacy of the Jews. Hey, we, we're, we're Jewish, so we're okay. You know, and Jesus may have been referring to Jewish in spirit rather than Jewish uh, by birth. Because people got real upset when he started including the Gentiles, and he's saying, "Well, you know, you know." Yeah. Well, John said that you know he, God can make sons of Abraham out of these stones. And that seems to be a, a, a problem with a lot of. That's how a lot of cults get started. We have the special knowledge. We are yeah. the special people. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very dangerous. Yeah, well, Jews, Jews in the pre-Christian era definitely had an idea that they were saved because of their bloodline to Abraham. <coughs> and that was just it. You know. Any other thoughts? Ideas? It's interesting to me if, if the years ago since I read a book about Josh McDowell where he does a lot of research on... Uh, is it the man who started it? Yeah, well, that's but he, but he did talk about the, uh, the percentages of, of one person yeah. fulfilling all these prophecies. Yeah, and I think I, I think he was also the one that said, even if you leave one out, let's just leave out the virgin birth. <laughs> what are the odds? All right, now throughout this chapter, um, John... Uh, yeah. <laughs> isn't, there, isn't there a place where it talks about the Jews that become believers later on get drafted back in? 
Uh, does Paul, Paul Paul says they're grafted back yeah, in? They, they can be grafted back yeah. in. Yeah. 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 I know. I know. You know. I know. He talks so about the Gentiles be being grafted yeah. in. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Mm. He says it in a very mysterious way, though. It's almost like there's a period of time where, okay, for the gospel was first for the Jews. Now it's for the Gentiles. Then it seems to come back to the Jews. Yeah. Somehow. Like there's a period of almost like they have to wait. Yeah. Right. And it's very mysterious how he says. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's it seems like there is there will be one glorious generation of Jews that all you know flock to their Messiah. Yeah. And it'll be at the second coming. You know, there are several organizations that are <coughs> focusing really on evangelism, evangelism toward the Jews. Yeah. And I mean, you know, they're seeing Jews come to Christ. I yeah. Mean, it's not like in the tens of thousands, but there's yeah. tens and twenties, you know. Well, I mean, uh, individual Jews have, um, you know, been saved oh, yeah. uh, over time. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, the, the Alfred Edersheim, yeah. who did all that work, uh, yeah. you know, pulling together uh, ideas about the Logos, he was a converted Jew. Yeah, uh, but there's two, there's two Judaisms, sort of, yeah. in, in Scripture. You got the individual Jews... You know, like the apostles, but then you've got the nation of Judah, yeah. uh, and it's the nation of Judah that was always, you know, stiff-necked. Yeah. Israel, you know, wrestles with God, you know, striving with God. Yeah, the book of Judges is just that cycle over and over and over again. Speaking of us, yeah, I mean that's exactly true of us. Well, uh, throughout this chapter, um, also it's notable that John is—he brings up a lot of specific prophecies. Uh, He's saying this happened because of this prophecy. I'm not going to read them, but this uh, happens in verses 24, 28, and 36 through 37. Um, and one of those is uh, leads to verses 29 and 30, which I will read. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. And they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Okay, John is the only uh, gospel writer to record this word. It is finished. Uh, and this looks forward to the epilogue. Uh, and uh, particularly in the use of the hyssop the wine, and the mercy seat. Uh, hyssop was, it's a plant that is kind of spongy. Uh, it, it's a clump of leaves or blossoms or something that will hold fluid when you dip it in there. And hyssop was the, uh, the way that uh, the high priest sprinkled blood on the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement. 
So we've got that, we've got that plant, we've got the wine, which is our Eucharistic symbol of Christ's blood, and we've got Christ the mercy seat. You know, he is the mercy seat, um, the, the, uh, the place where mercy rests. So we're, we're seeing the work of the high priest being done uh, here. Uh, now in Revelation 21.6, John writes, And he said to me, this is, uh, this is Christ speaking, the glorified Christ. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the earth thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Okay, so we've got another it is finished statement. Now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to say what they are because I didn't write it down. I couldn't pronounce it anyway. But the Greek words are different. Uh, it is finished is one in the in the gospel is one word. It is done is a different word. Uh, the interesting thing about Revelation 21:6 is the word for done can also mean married. So married. Married. Yes. Marriage. So he could be saying, I'm married <laughs> there in Revelation six. It's, done. it's a different doneness. <laughs> he has received his bride in in full in full. Uh he's not purchased the bride. He's married. He's no longer betrothed. He's married. It is done. So it's it's uh Again, uh, I'm going to read you that little thing from a couple months ago from Caesarea of Arles. Uh, this was his commentary on uh, the story of Isaac and Rebecca. You know, uh, Rebecca being the found bride of, of Isaac. When blessed Abraham directed his servant to take a wife for his son, he portrayed an image of God the Father. Just as when he offered the boy as a holocaust, he then presented an image to uh, um, an image of God the Father, so also his servant signified the words of prophecy. For this reason, Abraham sent his servant into a distant land to take a wife for his son, because God the Father intended to send his prophetic word throughout the world to search for the Catholic Church, small c, as a spouse for his only begotten son. So, this is the work of the Father to acquire a bride for his son. And then in Revelation 21, God the Son declares, I'm married. Wow. <laughs> it is done. So the partial work that, that Christ completed on the cross is uh, replaced by an even more completed work in Revelation at, at his return. So any... I, I, any thoughts about that? The wine is an interesting point. How his first miracle mm. at the wedding of Canaan was making new wine and fresh wine. Yeah. And his life ended with the sour wine yeah. at the time of mourning. The spoiled wine. Sour wine is basically vinegar. It's it's wine that has gone bad. Which all, which, I mean, although it's bad wine, it is a preservative. Yeah, and people drank it. I mean, it was just, it was kind of like the rot gut, you know, something that you give dying prisoners. But uh, people did drink, did drink it. It was potable, as they say. 
But yeah, I mean, that's there. There is. We're going to get more into this in the last week, but there is a little bit of a chiastic structure to John, uh, where things happen in the beginning and then they're reflected again as things that happen at the end. So the new wine, which is so good, and the rotten wine, which is so bad at the end, that, that is kind of part of that also structure. Plentifulness, because you know, at the beginning is like big jugs, and at the ending, the just enough for a sponge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, any other thoughts or questions? Well, I've never noticed it, but does Jesus never say in, the, in John's version, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. No. No, the seven words are, are an amalgam uh, of all four Gospels. So it's, a, it's one of those things where you can tell that each gospel writer has a certain thing he's trying to get across. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he includes different sayings from the cross, for example. Like, and John is also the only one who addresses Mary, you know, uh, behold, behold your son, behold your mother. So there's a lot of differences. Right. Yeah. That was that was that lawyer Greenleaf's uh, contention. You know, yeah. who's a Harvard-trained lawyer? Yeah. That, uh, but it not being here in the John's version does not mean it did not occur. Oh, no. Uh, no, certainly. My uh, my opinion is that the reason Jesus said it was to signify that God had literally turned from. He was, he was paying that price, which is essentially what Jesus says here. When he says it's finished. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was there's uh, Arthur W. Pink has a great uh, book on, and it's a very little book on the seven sayings of the cross, and he goes through a long list of uh, different things that were finished at that moment. It's very it's very insightful. So, um, so we have Jesus' death, and that is uh, the Passover completed. Then in 19, uh, verses 41 and 42, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Uh, so we have his burial. And that is the uh, completion of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, now, the, uh, this feast uh, included uh, the bread of affliction, uh, which is unleavened. You know, it was, they, they could not wait for the bread to rise because they had to escape from Egypt. Uh, and also featured bitter herbs. 
So this is reflected in the spices, the burial spices that uh, the women wrapped up uh, uh, Jesus with in this kind of fast, quick and fast burial. So that leaves us with one feast to go, which is the Feast of First Fruits. And so that leads us into chapter 20. What happens in chapter 20? <laughs> Sunday is coming. So we are thinking. One thing that you know, I, I just noticed this 75 pounds of myrrh and spices. Somehow. Yeah, so seven. Jesus up and, all this and then he resurrects out of that. And that's pretty amazing to think about. And what's left there. Uh, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna open uh, the, well the theme theme then of verse 20 is the fulfilling the completion of the feast of first fruits uh, and I'll just open with the first 11 verses. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out uh, and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. So, why was the tomb empty? <laughs> because he was alive. Tombs are filled with dead people, uh, not, not live people. So, Jesus was alive. Now, this goes back uh, to the prologue statements about life. Uh, Go back to chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the very beginning. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that, that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So, in him is life. Somehow he is life itself. Uh, Paul tells us in Colossians, chapter 1. Oops. Oh, why am I looking up? I typed it out. <laughs> uh, verses 15 through 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is the first fruits from the dead. 
preeminent in resurrection and in everlasting life. And he is uh, fulfilling the purpose for which everything was created for him. Everything was created for this mission, and he has completed it. Uh, so, any thoughts about that before we go on? You know, the wages of sin is death. If you're sinless, you don't have to pay those wages. So, we got that. Jesus paid it all. It's interesting. It, yeah, it's just such a huge honor that all he is that he would consider us friends and brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. I mean, you know, it's, it's such a huge honor. Amen. The description of the empty tomb kind of strikes me a little bit because the reason they use so many spices is because of what a corpse naturally does. They leak, they smell, and the Jewish people knew that. And that's why a lot of them didn't go in because they expected to see a certain thing and Jewish people with the culture was big on unclean. They would not touch dead things. Uh, and the fact, the fact that the, the head cloth was folded up sort of strikes me as two things. One, whoever did the folding said, we don't need this anymore. We don't need a pillow anymore, it's done. And the fact that that was the only cloth left there and no leaking, if you were going to steal the body, uh, like some of the Romans thought the Jews did, just stole the corpse to make people think he rose again, they would not have touched uh, a leaking corpse. And especially when you consider the mutilation they put Jesus through, they would not touch the corpse without taking the cloths just to protect their hands from the unclean corpse. I mean, that... That's just a little extra thing. They would have been kids. ceremonially unclean. Yes. And this yeah. is this yeah. is some people have speculated this is why John didn't go in because he was afraid. Because this is again this is another high holy day. This is the beginning of the the uh, feast of first fruits. So, um, but Peter, being Peter, just barrels right in, and then John says, "Well, all right, <laughs> I'll, I'll go into it." Peter was the older one, right? That's the assumption. Yeah, that's that's uh, possibly waiting for Peter's authority, because Peter Peter was always kind of the first apostle. Yeah. 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 Well, that's that's also the speculation of why he beat Peter in the race. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's look at verse five, chapter twenty. No. Someone said, you know, wherever there's two angels, there's always at least one. Right. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, some of the gospels report one angel, there's oh. some reports too. Oh, I got it. Yeah. Yes. All right, let's go to verse 5 uh, again. Uh, and this is uh, John speaking of himself, and he stooping down, looking in, saw the linen claws lying there, yet he did not go in. Uh, other gospel writers mention the linen, but John just hits it hard. I mean, I when I was reading through those first eleven uh, 
verses. It just go. It's over and over again. This this linen, and he also mentions it in uh, the end of chapter nineteen, at the burial. And uh, one commentary that I I found uh, picked up on this and uh, uh, claimed that John is making a connection here to the priestly garments. Uh, this is from Exodus twenty eight four and five. Uh, these uh, these are the garments. This is when the Aaronic priesthood is being established. These are the garments that they shall make: a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. So all this stuff was linen. So so they're they're making the connection here between Christ, the crucified Christ, and the priesthood, and this is going to play in heavily uh, in the epilogue. No, it was probably at that best some kind of off white. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And there, his linen clothing is like whiter, like no bleach could ever yeah. make it, right? Or is that maybe in Daniel, the, the vision in Daniel? Um, okay, so I've, I've got kind of a little bit of a summary here, so I'm going to go ahead and go through that, even though it's going to take us a little bit long. Um, Jesus has now fulfilled all the triad of themes. Uh, he has fulfilled the redemptive work. He has fulfilled the law. Uh, and he has proved himself to be God, God the Son. Uh, he is life. He is sovereign over his own life. In verse ten, or in chapter ten, uh, he tells his followers, "I have the authority to lay down my life and to take it up again." There is no one else who has ever walked the earth, man or animal, who has that authority. So, and here he has shown it; he has proved it out. They must have thought he was crazy when he said it, but he has proved it out now. He is God. <laughs> Okay, verses 14 through 16 tell us. Now when she had said this, this is Mary Magdalene, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know what it was, that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Okay, this is this is a an illustration of the last shall be first. You know, not only is this a woman who had you know, virtually no rights or value in that culture, but a woman who had been in the clutches of Satan. On top of that, she's not thinking right. She thinks she is beside herself. She is she thinks she can take the dead weight of a full-grown man and take him somewhere. I'll take care of him. But Jesus frees her. He freed her from Satan, and now he frees her uh, from all her tears. 
Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabbi. You know, it's in that moment, that moment of recognition. And she is free of everything. All right, verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet descended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, and to my God and your God. This is a reminder that he is ascending to the Father, something that he talked a lot about in chapters 14 through 16. Verse 19, And then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be with you. He gives his followers peace, uh, which he mentioned in chapter 12. He talked about the peace that he would give to his followers. And it's actually mentioned three times in this chapter where he, he endows them with peace. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. He gives them their mission. Now this is uh, done more fully in Matthew 28. Uh, that's usually where we see the Great Commission. Uh, but also it is uh, uh, mentioned in uh, Acts uh, 1, verse 8, um, where he is sending them out. Just as the Father sent him, he is sending them out. Verse 22, And when he, said, uh, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, he gives them the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is the seal that he told them about. In, uh, again, in chapters 14 through 16, he is fulfilling that promise uh, from the uh, upper room discourse. And then in ver verse 23, he tells them, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So he gives them authority and power. We have the power in some way of, of binding people to their sin or freeing them from their sin. And how would that, how would that be? I don't know. <laughs> but he said it. So we have that power in ourselves. And it may he may be referring to those who sin against us. We have the power to forgive or to hold hold on to it bitterly. So it may be more about us than about them. Um but he does say in chapter 14 verse 12 most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Again, it is, it is connected with the ascension. So in some way, because he is at the Father's side, um, we have this ability to do greater works. And it may be that it has been almost 2,000 years now of the church following after him and uh, doing what he has told us to do. Perhaps that is what makes it greater. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah. My head is swollen. Poison. I mean, I can see where that's such a mangled body. Yeah. When you resurrect, you you he's not the same person. Now. Yeah. That's certainly, certainly not what she's expecting. Suddenly, they recognize him. Yeah. 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 Well, I think he does. He does call her Mary in the, in this gospel. In in, in other gospels, he calls he addresses her as a woman. The implication is there's a definite change because he kind of has to prove himself to his disciples again, showing them the where the spear poked him, eating a piece of fish. So it's a it's a difference now. I don't know if it's just uh, it's still showing those wounds, but the wounds are now it's almost like they're they're there, but they're completely totally healed up. Yeah, but I'm saying if you spend 33 years with someone, even if they're mangled, you say, hey, that guy reminds me of, you know, and, uh, just something that uh, happened after he rose from the dead. Kind of like, kind of like uh, a separation. Yeah. Like, is, and, the, and the reasoning I put for that, he says, don't touch me yet. I'm still cooking, basically. I'm getting ready to ascend. So he uh, had to have some sort of, even a physical difference to where it's like, is this the same yeah. guy? Well, we... Well, we've we've got more to talk about there, uh, but that'll have to be next time because we're out of time. Let me, uh, like the one angel and the two angels and the different uh, resurrection accounts, remind everybody extremely that the lawyer, it's a harvesting lawyer in the late 1800s, wrote a really good harmony of the resurrection accounts. You can find it online these the Greenleys. Harmony of the Resurrection Accounts. It looks like an Excel spreadsheet of the Bible verses from the four witnesses. It's really good. Yeah, they they yeah they complement each other. Exactly, and that's that's the way all the Gospels are. All right, well, thanks, and uh, 